0: Our scripture readings today come from Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Bilgea, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and Postolites, Christians and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others were mocking and said, they are filled with new wine. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading, hearing, and understanding of his word.
1: Last week, we started a a new series on the Holy Spirit. And it came about because I I did a study with the men this fall on the Holy Spirit and realizing I I think this is where we need to go. And if you weren't here last week, I, I based the sermon series title on a book by Francis Chan, a pastor and author who wrote the book, the forgotten God. You know, in some streams of Christianity, the Holy Spirit is talked about all the time, but in most churches that I've been a part of, the Holy Spirit is very rarely talked about and is kind of the forgotten member of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So last week in in our introduction, we presented kind of an overview of the work of the Holy Spirit, and we noted four things. The Holy Spirit is the personal presence of God in the life of a Christ follower. The Holy Spirit is the power of God in the life of a Christ follower. The Holy Spirit teaches the truth about God in the life of a Christ follower. And then the Holy Spirit defends us against the lies about God that undermine our faith as a Christ follower. And so in in the ensuing weeks, we'll be looking more closely at each of these areas and what it really means for us, for our life as a Christ follower. And if you weren't here, you can listen to it on the website. I chose the passage we're reading today, highlighting the beginning of the church on Pentecost and the promised gift of the Holy Spirit, because I think it reflects many of the ambivalent feelings we may have around the topic of the Holy Spirit. You know, Acts records for us the power and unusual activity of the Spirit in these verses. The Spirit arrives like a mighty rushing wind, and as you remember last week, we said both the Greek and, Greek and Hebrew words for. Spirit are the same words for wind and breath. It's it's the wind, the power of God. Spirit, the power of God. Breathing new life into us. And and so, you know, it arrives like a rushing wind. It appears like flames of fire resting on Jesus' followers. And then they begin to praise God in foreign languages that were completely unfamiliar to them. And these last two verses, I think, sum up kind of our various reactions to the Holy Spirit that address our concerns even today as we may talk about the Holy Spirit listen to those last two verses and they were all amazed they were perplexed saying to one another what does this mean but others mocking said they're filled with new wine amazed something unique and special was happening so those who were interested in finding out more perplexed it was completely different unexplainable confusing bewildering, they didn't understand what was happening, mocking, or something that's too weird and ridiculous, they're drunk. You know, this is, this is silly. But when we come to talk about the Holy Spirit today, in many ways I believe many of those emotions are very much still in play. Either we become consumed with the topic or we completely avoid it because of our uncertainty and fear of what it may imply, and unless we recognize and understand and address our thoughts and emotions as we talk about the Spirit, we'll completely miss and never appreciate the importance of the Holy Spirit and what it means in our lives to be filled with the Spirit. You know, this fall, as I said, I led a study for the men, and when I came to realize several things, and in in looking at various approaches in the scriptures, talking about the Spirit, in many ways I felt all the approaches were lacking in different ways. But most importantly, I came to realize and, and you know, that we really haven't talked about this and we should have a long time ago about the importance and significance of the Spirit. It's meant to play in our daily lives. And if we don't understand the work of the Spirit, we're missing out on what God really wants to do in our lives. But the key is not just knowing more facts and information about the Spirit. If that is all we get out of this series, then it's pretty meaningless. We're called to make the choice to embrace the work of the Spirit in our lives. But to make that choice, we have to begin to deal with some of our fears and some of our mixed thoughts or emotions we may have about the Holy Spirit. You know, last week was meant to highlight why the Holy Spirit is so important for us today. You know, if you didn't catch that, let me point briefly out that Spirit's important. The Spirit is meant to lead us in our daily lives. And there's just a number of ways we can highlight that. You know, the Spirit led and directed Jesus' life and ministry. All through the Gospels, you see references to how the Spirit led Jesus. Matthew 4, 1 says, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil after he was baptized by John. Now think about Jesus. If Jesus ministered in the power of the Spirit and needed the Spirit to lead his life, how much more do you think we need? (laughs) that same guidance and support and power. Then Romans 8-4, Paul says, all who are led by the Spirit are children of God. Now think about that. We could reverse that. It says if we're children of God, if we're followers of Jesus, part of His family, then we're supposed to be led by the Spirit. He's supposed to be an integral part of our daily lives. And then Paul says it again in Galatians 5:24, in a much more clear way. He says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Now, the best analogy I can have for that, I spent three years in the Army, and when you see troops march, you know, you, they have this cadence, count cadence, delay cadence, left, right, left, you know, all those troops moving step by step. What Paul is saying is we're supposed to be living our lives that same way, in step with the Spirit in everything we do. You know, if, if you know, I when I was in the army, if somebody goose up the step in the middle of that formation, it becomes chaos very quickly. And, and Paul is saying, no, we're called to live and walk in step with the Spirit throughout our lives. And then, as you read through Acts, the book of Acts, everywhere you see in Acts, the Spirit providing direction to Jesus' followers and the early church. Everywhere. When they make major decisions, it, it talks about the Spirit leading and guiding them. In Acts chapter 8, Philip is led by the Spirit to go down south, in, you know, south of Jerusalem, down to the wilderness. And he encounters an Ethiopian eunuch who was a God-fearer, who, who you know, wasn't a Jew, but was a God-fearer, respected God. He was coming up to Jerusalem, and he was reading Isaiah 61. And and the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. And he explains the scriptures to this man. He obviously comes to faith and follows Jesus. And he returns back to the court, royal court of Ethiopia, Queen Candace. And very early on, one of the first churches outside of Jerusalem probably was the Ethiopian Orthodox Church that was started there. Why? Because Philip listened to the Spirit of God directing him, and he followed that lead. And then the Spirit is depicted in the Scriptures as God's power for every area of our lives, every area of our lives. And I want you to think about a, a number of areas here. And Paul writes in Romans fifteen thirteen in kind of a benediction. He says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing that so by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. What is Paul praying there? He's saying that the Spirit is what strengthens our lives. No matter what we experience in this world, no matter how chaotic it get, no matter what happens, it's God's Spirit who is there to affirm that we belong to Him, that He is with us, that we're not alone, that He's going to see us through it. And He's going to give us a sense of peace and direction in the midst of any circumstance we find ourselves in, that we can walk through it with confidence. And then in Ephesians 3.20, Paul says this, Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. I love this verse. Now think about this because I think in our lives, we tend to have low expectations at times about what God can do and can't do in this world. And Paul is saying the Spirit's given to us to help us grow in our faith and come to understand that God can do a lot more than we would ever think or imagine. That's what the Holy Spirit, God wants to do in our lives through the Spirit. And then obviously there is the, the, the main verse in Acts 1.8 before Jesus leaves where He says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea. He empowers us to act, to speak. That might be how we pray for people that we haven't prayed before, how we speak and what we do. And so you see, as you begin to look at scriptures, you recognize how important the Spirit is in the life of the believer. Gordon Feed was a well-known New Testament scholar, and he was an Assemblies of God pastor. And really, he specialized his studies in the study of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. And in 1995, he published a book, which I think is a seminal work on the Holy Spirit, called The Empowering Presence, The Holy Spirit in the Letters of Paul. And in these 950 pages, he looks at every mention of the Holy Spirit in the letters of Paul. And it's a massive when you see all those references. And then he spends, a, at the end, a few hundred pages kind of summarizing the impact for our lives. And he summarizes it this way, basically. The Holy Spirit is the absolute essential requirement for the Christian life. If we're going to live it. Francis Chan, in the opening chapter of his book, The Forgotten God, asks this question. I've got Jesus. Why do I need the Spirit? You know, the answer is simple. But we think that way, I think, at times. The Spirit strengthens, enables us to follow Jesus and live the way He challenged us to live. And we really can't do that without the Spirit. But if we're going to come to grips and really embrace the work of the Spirit in our lives, we have to come to grips first, I think, with our thoughts and feelings about the Spirit. So for the remainder of this time, I I want to talk more about the Spirit and His work, and I want to talk about three things. Our fears, our motivations, and our choice. First, our fears. Now let's be honest. You know, when we think about the Holy Spirit, we associate Him with the unusual, as we look at Scripture, our text today—a rushing wind, appearance like flames of fire, people exuberantly praising God in foreign languages that they knew nothing about—provokes all kinds of reactions: amazement, misunderstanding, bewilderment, ridicule. The Spirit's work is often associated with miracles and healings and speaking in tongues—all these things we can't explain or maybe, uh, you know, we can't control. What do I think? And feel about all of that. What will others think about me if some of those things happen? Oh, my gosh. Will I be perceived as a raving lunatic like I've seen on some on TV or heard about or so on? We become hesitant and fearful, I think, at times when we think about the Spirit. Fear one. What if God doesn't come through? You know, what if I pray for the Holy Spirit and nothing happens? What if I pray that the Spirit would change my life attitudes and nothing happens? What if I pray for healing and nothing ever happens? Does that mean I failed somehow? That I don't have enough faith? That something is wrong with me? Or even devastatingly, does that mean that God has failed? That he doesn't really love me or he can't do everything we see and hear about in the Bible? You know, maybe in the past we prayed for something and it didn't happen and we were afraid ever to ask for anything more again. Maybe in the past we are disappointed by God in some way. What He did or didn't do when we talked to Him. Or maybe something happened in the life of us or people we love in the past and, and, and we have a hard time believing that God really cares. So we're afraid to ask. Francis Chan makes this observation. He says, the fear of failing, either me or God, leads us in a sense to cover for god it means that we ask for less expect less and are satisfied with less because we are afraid to ask for more or expect more that's an interesting quote observation that approach to faith in jesus is easier in some ways because we don't have to worry about being disappointed You know, I'll suggest to you that the Spirit is not meant to be a quick fix for everything in our lives. I want you to think about the original group of disciples. You know, they spent three and a half years with Jesus, watching him, listening to him, answering their questions, observing how he interacted with people, eating with them, seeing him when people opposed him, ridiculed him, and so on. They left, and and they left their old lives and routines to follow him. They had all this preparation for the day of Pentecost and coming of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not a magic bullet that will fix everything. God's work in our lives is a cooperative effort between the Spirit and us. Just as they had to make that investment in following Jesus and hearing and understanding who he is, we have to make an investment in time and energy to get to know God and to serve him, to know what he expects of us, to know what his commands are, what he really promises as we seek to follow him. There's a big difference between believing what God has actually promised and praying for things that I want to be true. For example, you know we talk about healing. God never promises to heal everybody. Jesus didn't heal everybody he saw. So when someone we know who is sick or whose life is falling apart and we pray for God to do something and he doesn't, it doesn't mean that God failed. It probably means that we haven't taken time to understand what God really promises, to seek His will and and what He wants to do in His circumstance and how He works by His Spirit. We have to do some thinking here. So if at this point we stop pursuing God and the things of His Spirit and what He wants to do in our lives, we'll never experience the power of the Spirit. You know, I grew up in a church that taught that the miraculous works of the Spirit, healing, prophecy, miracles, tongues, ceased when the Bible came together. You know, when I came to understand, that's not what the Bible teaches. <laughs> I prayed for that moment when I would have an encounter with the Spirit like at Pentecost. Over the years, many, many different people prayed for me and laid hands on me, but it never happened. Finally, at some point later, much later in my life, I wish it would have been much earlier, <laughs> I came to the point and realized, okay, God, Whatever you want is fine with me. If it never happens, that's okay. And guess what? That's when I had an encounter with the Spirit of God. The work of the Spirit is not about what we want, but it's about what God wants and promises. You know, God wants to bless our lives with the Spirit. We don't have to beg Him, but we do have to pursue Him and seek to know Him. He's not a reluctant God. He wants to bless our lives. In Luke 11, Jesus was talking to the disciples about how to pray, and he gives the Lucan version of the Holy Spirit, of, of the Lord's Prayer. And, and at the end of that, he says this, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? What he's saying is God wants to bless our lives. Are we willing to pursue him and know him and seek that? Fear two. I'm not sure I'd want this to be filled with the Spirit. <laughs> this is kind of the opposite of the fear that, that God may not show up. This is the fear that he will show up. You know, I'm pretty comfortable in my life. If God shows, us, shows up, he may ask me to do something or go somewhere that I don't want to do and it'll make me uncomfortable. Ever thought that? maybe we don't really want to surrender control of our life if I surrender my will to God and let the Spirit lead me I will no longer be in control and I don't want that I want to run and control my own life you know if you read scriptures regularly you realize that if you're led by the Spirit your life will be different he will lead you to think differently to act differently to go somewhere do something you would never have done That's true for every character in Scripture, both the Old and New Testaments. Some of it's pleasant and very rewarding. Some of it will be difficult and challenging, but it will never be boring. That is the way of the cross. That is the way of following Jesus. You know, you've heard me say this before. I had a grandfather and uncle who were pastors. I never wanted to be a minister or pastor. Never. You know, and and I I tried everything else. But what did God do? He led me to different places and different situations over a period of time, changed my whole perspective until I came to the place where that's the only thing I ever really wanted to do. He didn't force me into it. He led me where he wanted me to go. You know, and there have been some incredibly difficult times. There have been some very rich and rewarding times, but I guarantee you this, it's never been boring. (laughs) And I'm convinced that if I hadn't done anything else in my life, my life would have been boring in comparison. Looking back, I'd do it all over again. Now, knowing that, I wish I knew about God and myself what I do now. I'd do some things differently. <laughs> but it has been so good. I've learned much, and Sue and I have been blessed in so many ways. Now, that doesn't mean any of you are going to become pastors or missionaries. But if you want to experience the filling and power of the Spirit, I guarantee your life will change. So if you want to be filled with the Spirit, you first have to ask yourself if you generally want to do God's will. If you really want to do God's will, there's no point. If you don't want to do God's will, there's no point in asking the Spirit to fill and lead your life. That's the key question. Do I want to do God's will? And you know. Every week we say the Lord's Prayer. and What do we say in that? Your kingdom come, your will be done in heaven and earth. And what we're saying, let your will be done in our life. We pray that every week. So if we really want to do God's will, it makes sense then for us to ask the Spirit to lead us in our lives. Fear three, the last one. What will others think of me? <laughs> you know, we're all concerned about appearances and what others think at some point in time. And this can happen in many different ways. You know, maybe you grew up with a group of friends or a group of friends from college or work who like to go out and party, drinking a lot. Maybe at some point in your life you realize that you need to make changes in your life. As a follower of Jesus, you don't want to drink to excess, so maybe you only take one drink or you stop drinking. What happens? Relationships begin to change. People can drift away because of a life choice you make or maybe you hang out with people who carry a certain prejudice whether it's racial political or whatever and you begin to voice certain cautions things can change quickly <laughs> relationships can change quickly there can be a cost at times or maybe you don't want to be seen as some religious fanatics so you back off from talking about Jesus in certain situations and enough of times you know and, and, and when you think about it though oftentimes religious fanatics are, are really have nothing to do about following Jesus they're just being obnoxious and judgmental. And that has nothing to do with following Jesus. You know, if you're filled with the Spirit, you're not gonna be obnoxious and judgmental. (laughs) You know, when I was in college, one of the students in our class came from California. He didn't grow up in the church, but he came to faith in really in the charismatic Jesus movement and his life was radically changed. So he was often heard on campus saying, praise God, thank you, Jesus. Now this was a Christian college, and many students grew up in the church, complained about him and how he expressed his faith. They complained. They were put off by it. It was too fanatical. Or maybe they were just embarrassed by it because they didn't feel the same way and it made them feel guilty or inadequate. You know, when Sue and I planned on getting married, there were some who thought it was wrong for us to get married because I knew I was heading for ministry and she'd been divorced, and I think there were a few other reasons involved in that I won't go into. There will always be somebody who will be critical how the Spirit leads you in your life or make changes in what you say, think, or do. It might be Christians. It might be people out in the world. There's always be somebody who will be critical. If we're going to ask God to fill us with the Spirit, as I said, you know, we again have to decide where our loyalties lie. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What are we really committed to as followers to Jesus? What are we comfortable with? What our friends are comfortable with? What our culture finds acceptable? Or what is God's will? We always have to ask that question. Now, those are some of our fears. And that will hold us back to following the spirit lead in our life. Now let's talk about our motivations. And I I sat and struggled with this question of motivations because I think there are a lot of negative motivations, but I didn't want to pronounce it in the negative. I wanted to explain it in the positive. And I think there are two positive motivations for us as we pray for the filling of the Holy Spirit. You know, we will want to see God work in us to change our lives and work us through to touch other people's lives. And discussing our fears, you know, How do we pray? What is our motivation to be when we pray? Motivation one, do I seek to bring glory to God and Jesus? Do I seek to bring glory to God and Jesus? You know, Jesus set the example for us by his own life. You know, in his final prayer with his disciples, and before his arrest and betrayal in John 17, in his high priestly prayer, he prayed to his Father in heaven saying this, I glorified you on earth, having finished the work that you gave me to do. Jesus came not to draw attention to himself, but point people to God, to his Father in heaven. What he taught and did was meant to point people to God. He led by example. What he did was not about him, but about his Father's will. And in the previous chapter, he makes a similar point about the purpose of the Spirit. He says this, He, the Holy Spirit, will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. You know, so as his followers, he's reminding us that the Spirit's job is to point us to Jesus, to God. So in our seeking God to manifest power through his Spirit in our lives, it's always got to be about this notion of we want to bring glory and honor to God, and we won't point people to Jesus. Don't get me wrong here. God is very interested in our lives and our needs. Scriptures constantly encourage us to talk to him about everything going on in our life, to bring him our needs. Jesus tells us that God knows the number of hairs on our head. He knows all about us. He encourages us to talk to him. And we're told in James 4.2 that we have not because we ask not. I'm going to give you the sequel to that in a minute. But we're most often inclined to ask God for God to intervene with the power of His spirit when there is a pressing issue in our life, or those close to us. We want to see God intervene to bring healing and to fix some particular situation. And we end up focusing only on our personal desires in this matter, and we expect God to meet all of our hopes and expectations. And our prayers become consumed oftentimes by our own desires and passions. Acts 3 gives us a clear picture of what our motivation should be when we pray for God's intervention by the Spirit's Spirit. Spirit. You know, last, uh, a weekend ago, I had finished last year's reading, kind of going through the Old Testament, so I decided to start reading in Acts as I'm doing this series. And, you know, in Acts 3, Peter and John are entering the temple, and a man who was lame there was there begging alms, and in Jewish tradition, almsgiving was an important part. So those who, who were really struggling, couldn't support, or were lame, would often lay by the temple. As people would come in, they would donate alms to them to help support them. And Peter tells them, well, we don't have gold or silver, but I'll give you something better. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And he does. And the crowds are so in awe that they surround Peter and John, hoping to find some of their power would rub off on them. And what does Peter immediately do? Peter immediately tells them, this is not about them. Rather, it's all about Jesus. They immediately point people to Jesus, giving glory to Jesus. James... Warns us about wrong motivations in a very clear way. That sequel to four two, where he says we don't have because we ask. In four three, James goes on to say, and even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You only want what will give you pleasure. In other words, we request for the Spirit's power to be made manifest. At times, can be selfish, and you don't really care about God or what His will at all is all. You want God to do what we want Him to do. And this simply points out that when we ask for God, the Spirit's intervention and power to be manifest, there are two caveats that really should be behind our quests. First, we desire that God and Jesus would be glorified in whatever he does, that people would be pointed to Jesus. Whether that is person you're praying for or the people around them. Second, from the very beginning that he came to earth to die on the cross, Jesus, he talked about think about Jesus, he talked about it many times during his ministry. You know, when the man came, he, he talked repeatedly that he was going to die and go to the cross during the last part of his ministry. But when it came to that moment in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was betrayed, he didn't want to go to the cross. And so he prayed to God not to let it happen. He said, not my will, but your will be done. We see Jesus and all his humanity asking for his hope and expectation and promise. But he said, no, not my will, but your will be done. In essence, he's saying, let you be glorified, God. Let you be honored, because I'm here to serve you. Behind all our praying should be the commitment to pursuing God's will. That's when our requests for the Spirit's power will be most effective. Now, what other motivations can there be? Well, that, you could say, pretty well sums up everything. But Scripture points out, I think, one other motivation. And I believe it's related to what we just said. Sometimes people ask for the Spirit's power for reasons of pride. To draw attention to themselves or to demonstrate what a special and powerful Christian they are. You know, in the 70s and 80s, when there was a renewed emphasis on the Spirit and God's work, in, spirit's work and power, you know, people who spoke in tongues thought that they were more spiritually mature, that God had blessed them in a special way. And that's pride. Those who spoke in tongues thought they were first-class Christians and those who didn't were second-class Christians. Well, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 is all about the same thing. <laughs> same thing happened in the early church that happened here. You know, and, and so Francis Chan in his book would call that kind of whole atmosphere miracle hunting. <laughs> you know, we go speaking, we go seeking the power of God for the sake of the power itself and not to honor God in response. Paul suggests a second motivation to see the power of the Spirit, motivation too. Am I seeking to enhance the ministry of the church? So Paul in those chapters teaches that when we seek all the gifts of the spirit, and especially the miraculous gifts, which we'll talk about another time, we do it for the good of the church in its ministry. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. What's the common good? It's the ministry of the church. It's seeking the power of the Spirit to enhance the ministry of God's people, the church, to strengthen God's people and to draw others to Jesus. And then he again makes it very clear in 1 Corinthians 14, 12. So with yourselves, since you're eager for the manifestation of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. You know, I, I, in this day and age, I've heard friends, I've heard so many people say, I love Jesus, but I don't need a church. If that's your position, don't bother asking for the filling of the Spirit. <laughs> because if you want the Spirit and God to work through you, you have to be committed to the church because that's how God works. And that's, those are sad. that's a sad statement. It's one of the saddest statements I hear from, from believers. You know, we've talked about our fears which may keep us from seeking the power of the Spirit in our lives. We've talked about what our motivation should be. Finally, we need one last thing, our choice. And this is really a simple one. God never forces himself on anyone. It's always our choice to seek the Spirit's leading in power. God absolutely respects us as people. He never forces himself on us, anyone who doesn't want to pursue his will. You know, as followers of Jesus, God always wants the best for our lives. He wants us to experience the full measure of his love and power. So sometimes he will use the circumstances. That's not the same as him causing the circumstances. He'll use the circumstances to get our attention so that we will reach out to him in a new way. I mean, that's what happened to me with the whole thing of pastoring. I didn't want to go. But he used the circumstances that I found myself in to shape, to get my attention. But it's always our choice to respond and to seek his presence and power to let the Spirit lead us in what we do. What choice do you want to make for your life? To seek the Spirit's power and presence in your life? Or just to pursue business as usual? You know, I wanted to present this question up front in this series in the coming weeks. We'll talk about the work of the Spirit in more specific ways. And and as you understand a little bit more about the Spirit, hopefully you'll be led to invite the Spirit to be more active in your daily life, praying, come, Holy Spirit, fill me with your presence. Guide me this day. So over the next few weeks, as we talk about the Spirit, you'll begin to ask yourself, what do I really think about the Spirit? What is my motivation? If I want to see more of the power of God in my life, those are crucial questions. And hopefully that will lead you at one point to make the choice to ask the Spirit to lead, direct, and empower you each and every day that you live. You know, you can make that choice at any time. Maybe you're not ready to do it now, and that's okay. But hopefully as you listen, carefully asking God to speak to you in a new and fresh way, each each message will be on the website. I encourage you to go back. It will be on Monday or Tuesday. Go back and listen, ponder, ask learn. Ask God to speak to your life.